You're listening to Once Upon a Podcast, a show all about the rediscovery of children's literature. Join hosts Sarah and Chandler as they delight in childhood classics and discover new favorites. Hey, how are you doing, Sarah? I'm doing very well. How are you, Chandler? I'm doing great. Who are we talking about today? Well, today we have a really fun book that I know you read as a kid, and I hadn't actually read until this week. Um, Of course, that book is Homer Price, the fun story about a boy growing up in small town America. Um, And one thing I realized when I started reading it is that I actually did know one of the stories. Um, We've talked before about our experience with homeschool speech and debate, and I realized that my well, now it'll be my future brother-in-law, did a speech on one of these stories. So as soon as I started it, I realized, oh, I know this. And I was totally reading it in his voice. So that was pretty fun. (laughs) That is fantastic. When did you first read Homer Price? Excellent question. I read Homer Price probably, oh, I was probably 12 or I mean, it's one of those books that I, it's been on our shelf for so long and I would pick it back up so often that I've I've read and reread and re-reread it many times. Um, but yeah, we I probably read it when I was like a 13, 12, 13. Yeah, that makes sense. That seems like a good age to read it by yourself. Um, I think earlier than that, you could definitely do like a read aloud, but that's a good time to jump in. Exactly. If you're doing it on your own, yeah. But it is that is the nice thing about this one is you can read it to young kids. It can it's funny for adults. So I like the wide range here. Yeah, I like that too. Uh, Why don't we jump in and talk about the history of it a little bit? Please. So Robert McCloskey, the author, wrote an illustrated literature for children that many people know and love, including Homer Price and Make Way for Ducklings. But despite winning two Caldecott medals, McCloskey always insisted that he didn't know anything about children's literature. According to the New York Times, he said, quote, I think in pictures. I fill in between pictures with words. My first book I wrote in order to have something to illustrate. McCloskey was born on September 15th, 1914 in Hamilton, Ohio. This is actually about eh, 48, 50 minutes from where I grew up, actually. His interests varied throughout his life. He loved making music which included playing the piano, drums, oboe, and harmonica, but also taught classes on soap carving and making model airplanes, and then became interested in machinery. In high school, he discovered his lifelong love of drawing. McCloskey attended the Vesper George Art School in Boston and then moved to New York to study at the National Academy of Design. He went on to paint on Cape Cod for a few years, but his watercolors did not sell very well. He called his art career, quote, a bust, and decided to call up an editor of children's books that he knew. Her advice led to the publication of his first book, Lentil, in 1940. Lentil is a hilarious book if you have not read it. Just as a side note. I haven't, but maybe I should. (laughs) You should. It's, I won't give it away, but it it has something to do with a harmonica, and it is wonderful. Hmm. That same year, McCloskey married Peggy Durand, daughter of the children's writer Ruth Sawyer. Soon, he began working on his famous work, Make Way for Ducklings. He remarked, quote, I had first noticed the ducks when walking through the Boston Public Garden every morning on my way to art school. When I returned to Boston four years later, I noticed the traffic problem of the ducks and heard a few stories about them. The book just sort of developed from there. 
I remember reading that book in first grade um, before I was homeschooled. I remember my teacher talking about it. And then she ended up going to visit the Boston Gardens and sending us a postcard. Um, and then when I was there last fall, I had forgotten that they would be there. But I saw those ducks and I remembered. <laughs> so that was really fun. I remember that book. Uh, McCloskey served in the Army as a technical sergeant between 1943 and 1945. There he drew pictures for Army training manuals, but that wasn't all he did. His third book, Homer Price, was published in 1943 and was met with great success. He published the sequel, Centerburg Tales, in 1951. His two daughters, Sally and Jane, were born during this time as well. Altogether, McCloskey was the author and illustrator of eight books, and he illustrated 11 others. He died in 2003, but his charming and wry stories of small-town America continue to amuse and intrigue children and adults. And I do believe that there is actually a statue of Robert McCloskey in Hamilton, Ohio. That's right, there is. Yes, I have, alas, not been to see it, but it is a pilgrimage I hope to make eventually. Yeah, next time you're home, you should. That'd be fun. So Chandler, this was your first time reading this story. What were two themes that you found as you were reading that really kind of jumped out to you? I think the first thing that I noticed, because of course the book was written in the early 40s, was just how independent Homer Price is, um, which is something, you know, parents always talk about how kids today aren't nearly as independent as they used to be, um, which, you know, there's different reasons for that. But in this case, he's kind of wildly independent. Um, he's close with his family, but he often makes his own fun, which is great. And sometimes that's things like building radios or he and his friend take a, a horse and cart into town to watch a movie. Other times he's off catching robbers <laughs> by himself, um, which is maybe not the smartest move, but it's pretty funny. And they turn out to be really cowardly robbers. So it works out for the best. And he just has to threaten them with a skunk um, and a gun and they're fine. <laughs> uh, dear Aroma. Yeah. Yeah. That was the story that I knew from seeing the, the humorous speech. Um, and yeah, it's a great one. It's really funny. So I think just that sense of independence that Homer has is something that, that really struck me and is really important for the time period and for his character. But then another thing that I think we see throughout is this kind of theme of wonder and playfulness. I think the stories and the humor always have a playful and somewhat fantastical elements. Um, there's a story where the boys, you know, when they go into town to watch this movie about this super duper, who's pretty much Superman, um, and they believe him to be the super duper. And even as they try like figure out at one point, he crashes his car and he can't just, you know, pick it up and move it. Like they kind of start to figure out what's going on, but they don't want to say it because there's still that sense of wonder. And I think particularly for Homer and his friend and then the friend's little brother, you know, that the magic of this real superhero is definitely preserved in this story. Um, and then there was another story, the mystery yarn that I really enjoyed where um, one character, um, Miss Tara Williger, I would, I guess, I don't know. How did you pronounce that when you were reading it? <laughs> I think I said Ter, Ter Willig Maybe Ter Williger. What, what did you just say? Ter Williger? Or maybe yeah, Ger. I said Jer. Okay. I, I said Miss Ter Williger. Let's go with that. So um, <laughs> there's this right contest. These two guys have these enormous balls of yarn and they're trying to see who's longer. And then Miss Ter Williger jumps in and she comes up with this really silly and funny solution to end up winning the contest, um, which we can talk about a little bit later because I know you wanted to bring that up too, Sarah. 
Um, and then the very last story in the book is, or the second to last story is this almost magical retelling of the Pied Piper. Um, but not, it's not really magical, but it's somewhat fantastical. And just that sense of wonder and ridiculousness um, and playfulness throughout the stories is something that I really appreciated. I love the pictures of the mice in the last one of the Pied Piper. I think yes. his, his sketches of the mice are the cutest things. I really like mice and I don't obviously I don't like real life, real life <laughs> mice, but right. I really love pictures of mice and that his uh, his sketches. I think they're I think they're pen and ink. I'm not sure. I'd have to look it up, but just charming. <laughs> yeah, and actually the drawings are so good. I mean, obviously he was a professional artist and a professional illustrator, but just really outstanding. I think. I'm so shocked that his art didn't sell before this. Um, yeah, I kind of want to know, like, what were his watercolors like that weren't very popular? Because these are great. <laughs> I know. I mean, I, I love watercolors. I'm going to have to go look up some of his stuff. I really – it's interesting. I, I'd have to compare because it's in a similar style, I guess, to Norman Rockwell. I mean, I think Rockwell was earlier, but I – mean. It is similar and kind of – and they're – sort of trying to do the same thing and capturing this essence of, you know, classic Americana life, right? Um, mm -hmm. But McCloskey is definitely more for children. And yet still, there's like this great level of detail. Um, I'm looking right now at the the one from, what's the story called? That's, oh, uh, I think it's called Almost Nothing New Under the Sun. Yes. Um, the Pied Piper one. <laughs> Nothing new under the sun. Hardly. That's what it is. Hardly. Um, uh, where this guy with this incredibly long beard is driving this contraption that he's made with like an organ and just the ramps for all the mice to run up into this little house. And there's just so much detail. And the mice are really cute. <laughs> They're adorable. I like the little watch your step sign. Yeah. <laughs> so for all of our listeners, you you have to, when you get this book, it, the illustrations, it's it's not a, oh, comes with illustrations or without. You have to do it. You have to read it with the illustrations. Like, that's how it comes. And it's so beautiful. Yeah. And it's worth spending time to actually look at them, not just glance and skip past. Yes. Which I appreciate. So, yes, I do. I, I have my two. Mine, my themes are, I guess themes are broad in general. But let's see. My my first one is mystery. So when I first, I remember reading these books. And like I said, I have read them I read this one over and over again. Um, same with the the sequel, yeah, sequel, Centerberg Tales, um, but probably Homer Price more. And I just have remembered being confused. And I actually would read it, and then months later, I would come back, and I it would come to mind. I would be thinking about the uh, mystery yarn one because I couldn't figure out how she did it. Yes. Yeah. Let's talk about that because that was really clever. And I love that um, it's very clear in the book that the men don't figure it out, but all the women know what's going on. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Chandler, that was, that was a second too. No, Chandler, I, I didn't get this until like last year. Oh, I didn't that's get hilarious. It. <laughs> yeah. It's subtle. I wondered about that. Like I was kind of picturing reading this to kids and having to be like, all right, let's go through this again really slowly um so for listeners who maybe don't remember or didn't get it or haven't you know reread it recently um there's a lot of description about miss terwilliger's um this dress that she knitted but she would she, she wore it for years and years and as styles change she would adjust the dress make it shorter make it longger um and she's walking around there's this great picture of her walking with her 
ball of yarn to try to see whether hers is longer than the two men's. She's walking with it. And there's just these really subtle descriptions of she's wearing this blue dress, the one that she's had forever. And as she's walking, she's wearing her blue blouse with this pink skirt. And she keeps going and oh my gosh, her ball of yarn is the, the, was the biggest. And she's standing there with her dress with a little bit of blue trim. It was just incredible how subtle it is, but so funny. <laughs> so subtle. Yes. And I, I have this terrible, so th- like I said, this book totally baffled me and when I was, when I was younger and I just could never, I, I read too fast a lot of times. So I think that partly had something to do with it, but I just love how this story kept popping up in my mind. Like, even if I hadn't read it for a long period of time this would come back up and I'd sit there and I'd think about it and be like, how did she do that? I love and- that because that's kind of written in a way that kids aren't supposed to get it, you know? Yeah. Or men, apparently. Or men, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just so beautiful. Yeah. So, yeah, I, that's definitely one of the stories that that really stood out to me. So, yeah, this this mystery. But I, I do think some of these stories – they ne- while they never did quite make sense, I still really loved them. This book really captures the quirks and charms of a small town, kind of as if we're right next to Homer. Um, but also, as for a, the titular character, I felt like the town. I feel like the town is observed throughout the book through his perspective, but kind of without us realizing it. Um, and he is the character that grounds the story, but he isn't narrating it for us, and we aren't privy to all of his thoughts. So you get kind of this really wonderful all-around sense of the book, um, which I just really love. And uh, a lot of those stories, especially the yarn one, but the other ones, I feel like just this relates really well to what you, your theme that you were talking about, the kind of that fantastical element of it. And you almost aren't supposed to, like the yarn one, yeah, you figure it out. But I feel like some of them, you aren't supposed to figure, like the donut machine, you don't, we still don't know how it, like, why it kept going. I mean, right. Am I, I was just something? thinking about that. I don't think so. I think that's just a, a kind of similar to the um, Pied Piper story. It's like, it's not really magical, but it almost is because there's the sense of mystery and the sense of wonder. And also it really is from a kid's perspective. So things are kind of exaggerated and he doesn't know why this donut machine just won't stop making donuts. I mean, we know it's broken, but that's not, that can't be all. <laughs> it just won't stop. And there's like thousands of donuts. In fact, more donuts than there are people in Senderberg, which was pretty funny. Um, but yeah, I think that's just one of those things that Homer doesn't understand it and we don't really either. Yep. But it's so, so beautiful. And that kind of leads into the, the, my other theme is the people you meet. Rereading this book for me after more years of experience, like so I was older, kind of brought the characters to life even more. I feel like McCloskey is taking these everyday stereotypes, people we really do meet and know, and bringing that he's bringing them to life through the story reading it as a kid we really laughed at the silliness of the grown-ups but i never got the feeling like he was mocking authority i think he was just poking fun at small both poking fun at small towns and showing us the lovely qualities and he really gives us this stoic and practical guide um of homer homer price and uh you just you get a really interesting perspective on people yeah absolutely and i like that there's so many quirky um recurring characters and it's funny how they have these like classical names like you know homer and telemachus um but then there's things like 
you know, the sheriff who is this really goofy character. He reminds me a lot of um, Doc from Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs because he just keeps mixing up his words. Um, but he, you're right. It's not mocking authority. It's just this quirky sheriff who's constantly hanging out at the barber shop, And it just it feels like any small town America in the 40s, which, you know. I, even though, like, I didn't personally grow up then, I sort of feel like I get that and I feel like it's relatable because it's just so quintessential small town. I completely agree. So, Sarah, what recipe have you cooked up for us today? Aha. I like what you did there. Thank you. <laughs> so, I... I was thinking about the, or well, as I was reading it, I always get hungry when I read books that have uh, descriptions of food in them. This one, I felt like the two foods that were most talked about were fried chicken and donuts. And we've already talked about donuts in our Charlotte's Web episode, so I couldn't bring them back up here. I disagree. So, I think you can never have too many donuts, but oh, go well, on. <laughs> I mean, okay, that's fair. Actually, having read the story, you can have too many donuts. Never mind. <laughs> go back to chicken. <laughs> mm. Mm. Anyway... Fried chicken is a comfort food. Name a book about small towns or the Midwest or pioneers, and you're sure to have a chapter or three about picnics. Picnics, which include bread and butter, pickles, pie, lemonade, and fried chicken. Homer Price has no shortage of fried chicken, so it felt appropriate to make this uh, our recipe for today. I personally have never made fried chicken, but I've certainly eaten plenty of it and read a number of different recipes detailing the best methods for making it um, from marinating overnight and what do you dip it in and how many times do you dip it and do you all these different crazy things that you can do to make it the best and do you want more breading on it or less and it's wonderful um anyway the one that is in the show notes is from pioneer woman and you pretty much can't go wrong with her food that sounds great that sounds very quintessential like yeah small town and even like particularly southern i think but yeah fried chicken is great (laughs) Good, uh, good idea. <laughs> thank you. Chandler, what should we listen to while we read this book and eat our fried chicken? Yes, I like the way you phrased that question because I didn't really pick one album because I wanted to find something from the 40s. And as I was looking up kind of what was the best, what was the most popular, it t- tended to be more about like certain artists and singles than about albums. Um, so I suggest putting on some Benny Goodman because he was very popular in the 1940s and um there was one hit, uh, Taking a Chance on Love, that he did with Helen Forrest and with his orchestra, which was one of the top songs in 1943, the year that Homer Price was published. So I definitely recommend listening to that one. It reminds me of the Mystery Yarn story, too. It opens, Here I Go Again, I Hear Those Trumpets Blow Again, All Aglow Again, Taking a Chance on Love. Um, but I think all of Benny Goodman's stuff is very nostalgic and, of course, fits very well with the 40s. And because, you know, it's um, his orchestra, a lot of it is instrumental that is just great for reading and studying anything. But it works especially well with something published in the 40s. What was Betty Goodman's instrument? What did he play? I want to say trumpet, but I'm not sure. Okay. I was thinking clarinet. Oh. I mean, I actually don't know, but I... I, I don't know. Here, I'll look it know. up. Um, you're right it was clarinet what good job music you majored in that (laughs) (laughs) Mm, yes i did didn't i you did you took many classes on benny goodman and his clarinet style technique so very much so (laughs) yes (laughs) anywho well that is wonderful chandler i'll have to go take a listen 
I really love instrumental music while I read. So that concludes our podcast for today, dear listeners. And if you'd like to join us for our next episode, we'll be reading The Giver by Lois Lowry. So find a copy at your local library or on Amazon or wherever you like to get your books and read along with us. And we hope to have a really wonderful discussion about this book. Thank you so much, Chandler. Thank you, Sarah. And thank you again to our listeners and to D. Yankee for our intro and outro music, Driving Home. <laughs>